uh, for us. So Arnell. Reading from the book of uh, Ephesians, chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power to his spirits, his spirits in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Would you pray with me before we begin? Heavenly Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, strengthen us with power through your Spirit in our inner being, that Christ will dwell in our hearts through faith, root and ground us in the love of Jesus. Help us to know and comprehend the vastness of your love and plan of rescue for the world. Fill us today with your fullness. We give you glory today in this church, and we know that you will be glorified and worshipped for all generations into the future. That is happening. That is sure. Empower me to speak your words today, not mine, for your glory and credit alone. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Today happens to be the sixth installment in our current series on the book of Ephesians. The name of the series is uh, a manifesto for the church. And, you know, Ephesians could be described really as God's blueprint. You need a blueprint for building a house? Generally, that's a wise idea. Well, this is sort of God's blueprint for how to build his church. And it shows us his design and purpose for the church. Very helpful, very clarifying. In terms of our passage today in chapter 3, the sermon title is this. Power to love and power to know love. Power to love, also power to know love. And the first thing that came to my mind in considering this passage and this title was Huey Lewis and the News. And they sang a song in the 80s called Power to Love. This song also was part of the soundtrack for the 80s film Back to the Future. Classic, classic in every way. Uh, it acted, there's a special Canadian in that film. You know who I'm talking about? Can't remember his name offhand. Who was the special Canadian in Back to the Future? Michael J. Fox. Vancouver, wasn't he? Burnaby boy, I think. Anyhow, this, this song was, I'm distracted, was a big hit back in the 80s. And 
You know, I was a kid in the 80s, and this song, Power to Love, by Huey Lewis and the News sort of burned in my memory. Uh, but, you know, when I, when I look at the song and I looked at the lyrics more closely this last week, I realized this song is dreadful. It's a dreadful, terrible, there's just not much thought put into the lyrics of this song at all. But there are little nuggets of truth, little, little bit highlights that might be worth considering. I'm not sure, but Huey Lewis, he begins the song by singing, and I won't sing it, The Power of Love is a Curious Thing. Makes one man weep, makes another man sing. Change a hawk to a little white dove. More than a feeling, that's the power of love. So let's stop there and analyze those lyrics. Uh, he says that the power of love changes a, a big, nasty, frightening hawk to this little white dove. Essentially, the power of love changes somebody from being someone on the attack and being very aggressive, if you will, to someone then who is changed, transformed to someone who is gentle. So let's tuck that thought into the back of our minds for a second. Then he sings the chorus. You may know the song. Please don't sing it. You don't need money. Don't need fame. Don't take no credit card to ride this train. See what I mean? It's terrible. It's strong. Power of love, right? It's strong and it's sudden and it's cruel sometimes, but it might just save your life. That's the power of love. The power of love, okay? Just might save your life. So there, there's a little nugget of truth there. And here's where I'm going with this, and here's the connection. I would argue, based on our passage from Ephesians 3 and the Bible's message as a whole, that there's no greater, there's no more powerful love than the love of Christ, the love of the Heavenly Father who made us. John says, and uh, Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse 13, that greater love has no one than this, that he's referring to himself, that someone laid down their life for their friends. And he's referring to what Christ did for us on the cross. No greater love. No more powerful love. And that powerful love of Christ changes us from vicious hawks, you know, self-interested vicious hawks on the hunt for ourselves to these gentle doves. That's the power of love. It's strong. It's sudden. It changes our lives. And there you go. There's the connection. So what we're going to do today, <laughs> we will drill down on this idea of the power of love, receiving God's power to love, and is also receiving his power to know love. Okay, We receive power to love, but we also receive power to know love. That's what we're examining. And the more that you know the love of Christ, the more you're transformed by it. That's, that's the deal. That's our thesis. All right, let's get into it more, more, uh, more exactly. We're going to look at our passage today. You need to know that as I try to summarize what Paul is uh, sharing with us, it seems like in our passage in the last half of chapter 3, he's basically getting back to his original thought. So he got sort of kind of sidetracked, if you will, or it seems like he may have got distracted in the early part of chapter 3, um, and now he's getting back to what he wanted to originally say before he had a rabbit trail there, okay? And he is now finally expressing this prayer. So this is basically a prayer is what we're looking at. And to sum this up, it seems like what Paul wants for these churches, and it seems like he's writing this letter of Ephesians to a cluster of churches in greater Ephesus, he wants these, this cluster of church families to go deeper, deeper into the things of God, uh, deeper into the love of Christ and, and experiencing that and knowing it, deeper into knowing sort of the, the beauty and, and the vastness and the sheer, sheer brilliance of God's loving rescue plan. 
uh, to reach all nations, no matter their ethnicity. It's not just for the Jews. It's for all nations. All nations of the world can come to Christ and experience salvation and transformation. More specifically here, what does Paul tell us in verses 14 to 16? Well, when he starts off by saying that phrase, for this reason, you may have this passage in front of you. I highly recommend that. For this reason, he's connecting his upcoming prayer to God as a response to his explanation of what the church is in the latter half of Ephesians chapter 2, okay? So it's all connected here. And he's now, this is a response to what he explained, and what he explained in the last half of chapter 2 was how God is building a spiritual temple consisting of people, okay? And these, these people who are, God is building up into the spiritual temple, these were people that were on the outs with God. They were lost spiritually. Um, they were from all nations, but now he's gathering them into this spiritual temple of, of people, and they are saved by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Anyone of any nation on the planet throughout human history since the time of Jesus can get in on becoming a part of God's spiritual temple, proverbial temple, if they make Jesus their Savior and King by faith. So back to for this reason, okay? For this reason, because of God's building this spiritual temple, for that reason, Paul is now praying for this these churches. What does he pray for? Uh, what does he pray for as he's, he's bowing on his knees? He says, I'm bowing on my knees. As I bow on my knees before, the God, before God, by the way, Bowing on your knees is a great way to pray. Uh, you may know that according to church tradition, uh, James, um, who wrote the book of James, uh, his nickname was Camel Knees. Okay, Generally, if you're referred to anything in connection with a camel, it's a bad thing, but for him it was a good thing. Why were his knees looking a lot like camel's knees? It's, it's because the man was on his knees all the time praying. They were calloused. He had built up layers of skin because he was on his knees Half the time praying, and that, that's a good posture. That's a that's a good nickname. Okay, camel knees, and he's on his knees here. Paul is, and he's praying. Um, uh, he's saying, Heavenly Father, it's from you. Everyone, every one of us comes from from you, God. Every one of us finds our source in you. Uh, we were thoughts in your mind before we came into being. Our Father who has named us all, and what he means by that when he says that phrase. The Father who has named us all, he is inferring your identity, my identity, our identity as human beings. Um, we are made in God's own image. We reflect some of God's qualities. Well, God is the one who defines us as human beings. He made us. He formed us. In other words, he names us to be the people that we are as people. And so the lesson is, let us not try to rebelliously redefine who we are as, as people. God defines us. He names us. That's the point. Then, look at what Paul is begging his father for in prayer. He's begging the Father, Heavenly Father, for this in prayer. That according to the riches of his glory, that the Heavenly Father may grant these church families in Ephesus to be strengthened with power in their inner being. How? How are they strengthened in their inner being? Through the indwelling of God, the Holy Spirit, who lives within us and within his church. Let me explain that a little bit. I like how the Zondervan uh, Study Bible describes your inner being. You ever think about your inner being? What is your inner being? Uh, your inner being is who you are on the inside, who you are in your inner world, your inner life. Uh, it's the seat of your consciousness. 
and serves as the equivalent of your heart. Now, we're not talking about your physical heart. We are talking about your spiritual heart. And the Bible says a lot about your spiritual heart. What is your spiritual heart when it says, when it refers to your heart? Your spiritual heart serves as the headquarters of who you are. Okay, so headquarters for who you are. Your spiritual heart, biblically, it includes your thoughts, your emotions, your will, your, your decision-making ability, your affections and your desires. That makes up your spiritual heart. It really the center headquarters of who you are. So here's the connection. Here's what I'm trying to say. Paul wants the power of God to strengthen their centers, their inmost selves, their, their inner headquarters and hearts. God, strengthen their hearts. Because, you see, if you can strengthen somebody from within at the core of who they are, well, then you are really fortifying and helping someone throughout the rest of their body, if you will, or their spiritual body, okay? You get them at the beginning, get them in the core, then they're strong elsewhere. And this is what the Holy Spirit does for us. This takes us to point number one in our notes. You ready for this? We must pray also. we got to pray the same way. For, to our Heavenly Father, for Mercy Hill to be strengthened with power in our inner being. We've got to pray for power for us to be strengthened in our inner being. A couple of years ago, uh, you, you, some of you uh, may remember that uh, this is sort of a, a personal il- illustration, and I don't share this illustration to, to showcase me in any positive way whatsoever, so please don't see it that way. But a couple of years ago, I had a bad back, and I had a slip disc, okay? I had a slip disc in my lower back, and it was so much fun. Not really. The action that threw out my back and caused the, the disc to slip uh, was so pathetic. It was me grabbing a, a very light uh, grocery bag out of the trunk of my car, bent over, and then I made this mistake of doing this. Okay, Apparently, you're not, you shouldn't be doing this kind of thing. I shouldn't be doing that right now, in fact. But I did it, and that's when, that's when it happened, and it felt fantastic. Basically, the slip disc then slipped, and it, guess what it touched? The sciatica nerve. The sciatica nerve. That's where the pain comes from. It was wonderful. It was not wonderful. Uh, well, I have never experienced excruciating pain on that level ever before. Well, you know, if it was bad. And I couldn't hardly stand up. It was that bad. It was ridiculous. I felt like such a... I just felt so, so terribly inept. And quality of life really went down significantly for about a year's time. So what was the issue? The issue was... Me being at that time in my early 40s, that was the issue because apparently men in their early 40s are most at risk of slip discs. So that's a heads up, okay? So if you're not quite there yet, there, there, there you go. But here, here, so I was in my early 40s. Also, I was even more overweight than I am now, okay? So, and I was not, so early 40s, overweight, I was not looking after my core, I was not looking after my core. So the core muscles in my body uh, were undeveloped and weak and pathetic. And, and so basically all of this was a perfect storm for this slip disc, okay? So what did I do? What did I do to try to, I mean, excruciating pain, what did I do? Yes, I went to the physiotherapist. That didn't seem to help too much. And, and I did all kinds of things. But you know what helped me? I actually hit the gym. I actually hit the gym, believe it or not. No one believes me that I actually go to the gym, by the way. And I get it. But I hit the gym. And I went to the gym with a focus on trying to strengthen my core. This story will end at some point. I hit the gym with a focus on strengthening my core. 
uh, try to focus on strengthening the back muscles and the abdominal muscles. And surely, slowly but surely, over a period of a year, I started to feel better. The pain went away, and now it's completely gone. Okay? And I was this close to undergoing surgery. Harvard University has found that having a strong core to your body, it helps every other movement and function in your body. Okay? It helps you put on your shoes. It helps you stand up. Helps you sit down. Helps you with your balance. Okay? Helps you with your playing of sports. Helps your posture. Okay? So having a strong core helps everything else in your body. Makes sense, right? Because your core, where's your core? It's in the center of your body. At least it should be. Okay, it's in the center of your body. If you strengthen the center, everything else is strengthened. Everything else in your body is, is benefited by that strength. And so it is. See where I'm going finally? So it is with your Heavenly Father when He infuses our inner beings church-wide, our spiritual cores, our hearts, and we are infused with this power in our inner beings, our spiritual cores, from, with the power of His indwelling Holy Spirit who lives within us. And when we prayerfully, like Paul, ask for and prayer, prayerfully depend on that daily, moment-by-moment spiritual power and spiritual strength that, he, strength that He promises to give to us, we will be strong from the inside out. You see how that works? Strong from the inside out. Everything else in our church life. So let's talk about our church life here. We all benefit. Our church benefits across the board when we're strengthened in our inner beings. We are strengthened in our conversations and our interactions with one another. You know what? Our conversations are more encouraging. Our conversations are, are less self-centered. Our conversations are, are loving. Um, our missional work for the sake of the gospel, it's much more effective. It's much more bold in our workplaces as we're sharing the gospel with our neighbors, coworkers, friends, family. We're living out the, the implications of the gospel of love. Our corporate worship when we gather on Sunday mornings is much more heartfelt. It's much more passionate. Our preaching, hopefully, it needs work. It needs power. It needs help, man. And we, we let, let us pray that our preaching, the preaching here, is not only more anointed with God's power, but it actually falls on open ears and open hearts. See what I mean? So everything else in Mercy Hill will benefit if we habitually, continually pray like Paul is praying here and ask, Heavenly Father, please infuse us with your spiritual power in our inner being and core. If we're strong within, we're strong without. Think about that. If we're strong within, we're strong without. Does that make sense? We can do nothing on our own strength. The Bible's very clear about that. That's how, that's how hopeless and helpless we are. We can't do nothing without His strength. We need Him. We need Him if we're going to do anything of value or substance at all. Let's move on. And if you look at verse 17 there, that's what we're looking at next. Here in verse 17, as we shift, Paul is now making a connection between power and and love, bringing these two things together. Hello there. He's bringing a connection between power and love together. Let's trace that out. First of all, Paul talks about Christ dwelling in our hearts through faith. All right? Christ dwelling in our hearts. What, is, what does he mean by that? Christ dwelling in our hearts by faith. Isn't it God the Holy Spirit who dwells in our hearts and not Jesus? So is there confusion there? Well, here's the thing. Elsewhere in his writings in the New Testament, Paul sometimes would refer to the Holy Spirit, third member of the Trinity, who lives within the Christian, 
he refers to the Holy Spirit as being the Spirit of Christ. Okay? And Paul, no, his theology was not messed up. Okay? Paul did not see the Holy Spirit and Jesus as being one and the same person or persons. No. But the thing is, Paul rightly did see uh, the Spirit and Jesus working so closely together in such unity and such harmony of purpose that, you know, it's okay to refer to the Spirit as being the Spirit of Christ. That's okay. Secondly, Paul is saying that if we have uh, the pow- if we have power since Christ is dwell- dwelling, living within us, then, so he's in us, he's dwelling within us, then we will be empowered to love. We will be empowered to love God and love others inside the church, outside the church. This power of love that we receive will so saturate our lives and saturate our, our, our church family that it will, it will form our foundation, it will form our roots, if you will. We will be grounded in love. Grounded in love. And that's point number two that this takes us to in your notes, that we must pray that when Christ dwells in our hearts, that we will be rooted and grounded in love. I want to talk about, as an example, a particular tree that my dad, my dad was a farmer. We lived up in northern Alberta on the prairie. And uh, he grew wheat and barley and canola and fescue and all kinds of different things. We had some animals as well. But there was a particular tree that dad planted. Essentially what dad did was there was a flat piece of ground and it was like a homestead, if you will. You had to to build a house and around the house was kind of like a square of trees in and around it. And the reason that dad planted so many trees, uh, quite a large uh, piece of land, was to act as a windbreak. Because up in the prairies, you know, all that flat land, Okay, you'll see it in the Sumas Prairie as well, in the Fraser Valley. I mean, it's always windy there. You know, I fish there quite a bit, and it's always windy. It drives you crazy. So you need a windbreak, and that's why Dad planted all these poplar trees, spruce trees, and also a particular tree called the Carragana tree. Do you know, anyone know what Carragana is? Okay, well, let me tell you about Carragana. Uh, it is otherwise known as the Siberian pea shrub. Okay, that should give us a heads up. Siberian pea shrub, okay. And i got to tell you, Carragana is bulletproof. You can't kill this tree. My dad planted it, and I think he regretted it. I mean, it was very effective, and it grew very like a weed. It was like a weed, man. And uh, again, it was, it was there and planted to, to provide a windbreak, which it did. But basically, the problem with that Carragana bush, which he planted all around in, in sort of a circle or a square, rather, it grew so well, it became uncontrollable after just a few years. Again, it was like a weed. How did that happen? How did this carrigannic get out of control? Well, the heads up should have been, well, anything that grows well in Siberia will really grow well (laughs) in something that's not quite as cold as Siberia. Um, But it was a combination of two things. The carrigannic grew so well because of two factors. The first factor were its roots, and the second factor was the ground that the roots were in. Carrigana roots, as a heads up, they go very wide and very deep, and they become this vast network. They become so thick, uh, they just absorb all the water that's anywhere near them and all the nutrients that are around them, and they're like nutrient-stealing fingerlings, if you will. And these roots, in connection with the sort of the concrete-like ground, and so the ground that they were planted in, it wasn't great ground that my dad had on that particular uh, farm, and it was like concrete. And so you get these, these fingerling roots that were unkillable into this concrete-like ground, and you just these, these, they just th- somehow thrived in that environment. Again, unkillable trees. 
unkillable trees. Here's my point. May the presence of Christ in us root and ground us in love like that. Make us thrive like that Carragana thrived. Make us strong like that Carragana was strong. And basically to become unkillable. That's what I'm suggesting here. Because this is what happens when we as a church family, we, we get into this, this habitual, continual place of attitude of prayer and dependence on God. Lord, infuse us today, every minute of every day. Infuse us with, this, with your power to love. And when we receive your power to love, we thrive. We thrive. We become strong, unkillable. Hard times don't rock our world when they come. Tough circumstances don't kill us. Sickness doesn't bring us down to the the very depths. When one of us falls down, by the way, what do we do? We help the other up. That's what church families are are designed to do. We pick each other up when when we need help, when we need love, when we need support. In fact, Paul says elsewhere, you know what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it's known as the love chapter. In the, in, in the love chapter, he says, if we don't have love as a church, we got nothing. Like, no love, nothing. We're just a resounding gong, just gong. That's all we are without love. So we need love. We need substance, not just noise. So let us be people who are rooted, who are grounded, who are all about Love for God, love for other people, love for our lost world. That's what we must be. All right, let's move on. We're going to look at verses 18 and 19 here. If you look at verses 18 and 19, amazing stuff. In fact, I would say the last part of this passage, just so amazing and so breathtaking. Paul is saying that, or he's praying that these Ephesians churches may have have strength to comprehend to understand the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth of what? The depth of what? Well, you might assume, if you look at the passage, the way it's constructed, that he is talking about the height, the length, the the depth, and the breadth of the love of Christ. He mentions the love of Christ in verse 19, just after this. However, Paul is likely wanting these churches to grasp not just the love of Christ, but basically... How immeasurable, so if something is immeasurable, you can't measure it. It's that, it's that big. You can't measure it, it's that big. How immeasurable God's riches in Christ are. That's where ultimate wealth is found, is in Christ. Okay? A lot of us are seeking wealth, and it's okay to find retirement wealth, save up for that, even wealth in our time and age, to just, just pay the bills. But the ultimate wealth is found in Christ. Spiritual wealth. And it's God's riches is what we're referring to. God's riches, what are, what are God's riches? Well, it's a very large category, okay? Huge category. God's riches. What can be found within God's riches? It includes Christ's love, verse 19. It includes uh, God's grace, his unmerited, undeserved favor that he gives to us through Christ. We don't deserve that. It includes God's mercy and his forgiveness for, for all of our sins, all of the God's riches found in Christ and includes uh, his inclusion of, of all nations to, to turn to Christ and, and, and receive this new inheritance that he generously and freely offers them. Eternal life with God and his people forever. New heavens, new earth, perfect place, no suffering, no disease, untold wealth. It's all there for, for us. We can get in on this. That's the riches of God's wealth for us in Christ. It's big. It's a big category. 
And he, what he wants is for us to have strength to comprehend the, to get our minds around how huge and how good God's plan, rescue plan for the world uh, is through Jesus. And that leads us to point number three, if you're following along in the notes. Number three is simply, we must pray for strength to comprehend the bigness, the bigness of God's wise rescue plan as well as the vastness of Christ's love for us. It goes from, you know, the idea here is if you want to be changed as a person, generally even psychologists, modern psychologists will, will tell us this and teach us this, that it's, if you want to understand something, be changed, it starts in the mind. It goes from the mind to the heart, to the emotions, to the affections in your heart, and then it goes to action. You see how if we get this, it translates into us living changed lives. When I think about the bigness of God's plan, this reminds me of sort of the bigness of our universe, and I'm going to get a little scientific here. Uh, bear with me. I want to share an example of something that shows us bigness in a whole crazy way. And it causes my brain to explode when I think about the bigness of the universe. Um, the sheer size of the universe is just truly amazing, actually. Uh, for example, the, the sun, you know, we can see some sunshine happening today. The sun that warms our earth and, and creates photosynthesis for the plant life and just gives us a lot of life in many ways. The sun that shines in our sky is 93 million miles away from earth. 160,000 kilometers, okay, away. 160 million kilometers away from Earth. That's a long ways. So what that means is, if you take, let's imagine a space shuttle, and, and they were still in operation, it would take that space shuttle a full seven months of continual space flight to actually fly to the sun. Seven months to get there. That is why the sun looks as small as it is in our sky. But the thing is, the sun is 100 times the size of, of planet Earth. Okay, 100 times bigger. That's big. Um, but that's a long distance, from just from Earth to the sun. Let's move on. Let's say that you want to travel to the next closest star to Earth, okay? How long will it take you to get there in Earth's current uh, fastest uh, spaceship, the space shuttle? Well, don't pack your bags for a mere seven months or even five years. For you to get to the next closest star in the space shuttle, you need to pack your bags for a trip that will take you 70,000 years. 70, only 70,000 years to the next closest star. That's a very long distance. Now let's ratchet that up even more. Uh, a lot of you in the room are, are, I'm sure, aware of the Hubble Satellite Telescope. You know about the Hubble? Okay, so it's a satellite, uh, and the reason they, they put it in the satellite, they put this telescope in a satellite is because its view is not construed by any cloud or, or, or any of Earth's atmosphere. It has a clear sight to all the things that are out in space. And just the photos that come from the, the Hubble telescope are just amazing. Um, so these are incredible photos. And the question is, when the Hubble shows uh, photographs of some of the most distant galaxies, uh, how far away are these galaxies in the universe? Well, these galaxies that it takes pictures of are so far away that the light entering into the Hubble tel telescope today, so that it can take these pictures, the light that comes from into the telescope today from these galaxies, uh, it came from those galaxies billions of years ago. So that's how far away, did I explain that? That's how far away these galaxies are. The light coming from those galaxies so that the Hubble uh, telescope could take a picture of it 
came from those galaxies billions of years ago. So that's just how vast and how massive our universe is. But the thing that we have to consider is, uh, who made this universe in which we live? Who made those galaxies? Who made the sun? Who made that first, next closest uh, star in the sky? All right? Who made all of this? Uh, God, the God of the Bible did. And my point is, the same God who constructed the, the vast universe in which we live, very same God, very same God who constructed such a beautiful, wise rescue plan for the world that's immeasurable. You know, his, his plan to save us and the scope and the sheer brilliance of it is just a much bigger, immeasurable plan than, than the size of the universe. The, you know, it's just, that, it's just that big. That's how good, how generous, how loving he is. You know, here's the issue for myself when I think of trying to grasp these things. So Paul wants God to offer his people power to grasp the bigness of God's plan for the world. And the reason that we don't grasp these things, the reason that I don't grasp the bigness of God's plan is simply because I don't spend enough time thinking of the bigness of God's plan, thinking about all that he's done for me, all the good that he's done for me in and through Christ. I just don't. And the reason is we, me, us, allow distractions. We allow technology, smartphones, social media, entertainment, boredom. We allow work, play, kids, on and on it goes. We allow all these distractions. These are all, very often, these are good things. But we allow all these things in our life to squeeze out any time just asking the Lord to, to reveal to us the, the, the goodness of who he is and all that he's done for us in Christ. And so um, just the simple act, Lord, give me the power in this moment to, to comprehend just a little bit of how good you are and how massive you are and how loving you are to me and to our church. So here's, my, here's what I just wanted to say. Let me summarize that. Like the universe is indescribably big, so is God's rescue plan of love for us and for the world through Jesus indescribably big and vast and beautiful. It would be one of the best uses of our time, of your time, each day. Spend a few minutes asking, asking the Lord, empower me to get my mind and heart around the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of all the good things you've done and will do for your church through Christ. Let me wrap this passage up. I want to look at the last section in verses 20 and 21. We again see the beautiful poetry from, from Paul here. Uh, Paul takes a, a moment to, to worship God in this passage, in these verses. And he says, and I paraphrase, God, you're able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. And you do this according to the power at work within us. Thank you, Lord. Paul continues, to you, Lord, be, be glory, be attention given, be credit given to you in the church and in Christ Jesus, not just for today or tomorrow, but throughout all generations forever. That's what he prays. I mean, this is really awesome stuff. And that leads us to, to our final point, number four in your notes. Simply, the Holy Spirit within is able to do far more than we can comprehend for the glory of God and for all time. This last week, my wife and I finally watched the documentary called Free Solo. Anyone see Free Solo? It was on Netflix. Uh, it's actually on Disney Plus right now. That's where we watched it. And uh, it's, a, it's a breathtaking film. Uh, it shows and it sort of 
that focuses on the rock climber, world-famous rock climber by the name of Alex Honnold. And he achieves the first ever free solo climb of the famed El Capitan 900-meter vertical rock, play, rock face at Yosemite National Park in California. Let me explain what free solo is. You may not know what free solo is. Uh, when you climb free solo, that means you climb a mountain with no ropes. So there's no safety net. There's no net there to catch you. There's no ropes to keep you attached to the rock face if you happen to slip a little bit. So that is why most free solo uh, climbers don't live much beyond the age of 40. Because they start to get up into 40, they're getting weaker, then they start to slip. Okay, it's not a good idea. Uh, anyhow, Alex, though, he's a whole different category, okay? And he's still alive, just so you know. Alex is off the charts amazing. Interestingly, in the film... Everyone who cares for Alex, they're worried about him. Like, this is not a good idea, man. Like, no one in the world has ever climbed El Capitan. In fact, it was only two or three years before he attempted this climb free solo that anyone climbed that mountain with ropes just two or three years before that. So now he's doing it without ropes. He's thinking, I can one-up that piece of cake, okay? So they're worried for the guy. The people that care for Alex, they're, very, they're saying, don't do it, not worth it. You're, you know, don't lose your life for this. Um, you know, they just, they couldn't see it happening. They couldn't figure out or believe that Alex could accomplish this without ropes. It's just a bad idea. Well, as it turns out, they were wrong. Alex did, in fact, climb El Capitan. How did he do that? How did Alex climb that without any ropes, without dying? Yes, his talent factored in. I mean, he, should, he, he, he went without a shirt. I mean, the guy's just he's all muscle, you know, and he's lanky. He's just built for climbing mountains, okay? So, yeah, his talent, there's talent there. There's physical ability was there. But you see, the biggest contributor to Alex's climbing of this mountain without ropes was his inner resolve, his inner strength. Here's my point. God the Holy Spirit who dwells within us individually as Christians and also dwells within us as a church family corporately, the Holy Spirit, for whom nothing is impossible that he seeks to do, the Holy Spirit is able to do far more than we can comprehend for the glory of God. So often I, I doubt what God can do through me. Uh, look at myself, I'm like, I don't think you can do much with this guy. Sorry. So often I doubt that God will change me more than he has already because I'm such a piece of work. I don't think there's going to be much change there, much more change, God. So often I doubt what God will do through our church family. But the fact remains, if God, who created the universe, and this is the person for whom nothing is impossible for him to do that he wants to do, if God lives within us, he is able to do far more than we can get our minds around. So let us not try to limit God. Oh, God wouldn't do that here. God wouldn't do that in me. Let us never say that. Let us never doubt what God can do in us and through us. Let us not try to limit God. That's, that's not good. Let us not doubt what God can do through us. Let us not close our minds. No, God wouldn't do that. Let's not do that. Let us not close our minds to, to the possibility 
that God, you see what God, you know what God did through this church back in, we had a, I call it the, the time of revival in our church. It was 2010. We got just into this school. We were the only church in this area, in Clayton Heights. 2010. A school was just built. We got in here. Okay? So from the period of 2010 to late 2014, I call that our revival period as a church. Uh, we saw somewhere between 15 and 22 people baptized per year in those four or five years. Is that, is that five years? I don't know. Whatever, whatever, whatever. You know? So here's my point. Let us not close our minds to the possibility that God can use us again to reach dozens and dozens of lost people in our neighborhood like he did, just like he did from 2010 to 2014. He can do that again. So God the Holy Spirit is able to do far more than we think. Therefore, let us trust in him to do this because he is able, he is able to give us power to love and power to know love. Let's pray together. <clears throat> God, thanks for this promise. Help us to believe it. Help us to believe this stuff. We are distracted. Other voices saying this stuff is a bunch of baloney, saying the Bible is false, saying that you do not exist, or if you do, you are much different than what the Bible says. Help us to tune that stuff out and just get right straight to the goods, to actually believe that this Bible is true, that this passage that we looked at today is actually true, that it's actually meaningful, that it's actually life-changing. And so we ask you to, to help us to believe. We ask you to empower us to love you and to love each other. We ask you to empower us to, to, to know the, the scope and the scale of your love, at least in part, and how big it is for our lost world. Lord, energize us with your power to actually reach our lost friends in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces and in our families and ex extended families. We want to be your witnesses that you would use to share the gospel to the ends of the earth. And may we start here. May we start in our own homes. May we start in our own streets, start in our own workplaces. So forgive us, Lord. Forgive me for limiting you, doubting you, doubting what you might do through me, doubting what you might do through this church. Help us to believe. Help us to believe. Help us to trust in you. Lord, as we come to the Lord's table, we celebrate all that you've done for us by grace, by your love. In Christ we pray. Amen. So we're going to transition.